This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we look each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA and speak to the journalists who cover them. I'm joined by Paul Eckert, who heads up RFA's English service. How are you, Paul? I'm doing great. And as always, I'm looking forward to this session. Yeah, me too. So as is our custom, I'll be focusing on a country in Southeast Asia and Paul, a country in Northeast Asia. For me this week, that country is Laos. The last time I spoke to RFA Lao for this podcast, I think it concerned the ruling party's once in five years Congress, which anointed a new set of leaders. I use the term new very loosely. Today, we'll examine how the new cabinet that has emerged a few weeks after the Congress is teeming with the offspring and in-laws of two former Lao presidents. Speaking of communist regimes that like to keep power in the family, so to speak, this week we'll be discussing North Korea, which has only known one ruling family in its 73 years of existence. Like many countries around the world, North Korea spent 2020 largely in lockdown for the coronavirus, and the regime of third-generation ruler Kim Jong-un was relatively quiet on the world stage. This year, however, with a new administration in Washington, North Korea appears to have dusted off its legendary brinksmanship playbook, launching a series of missile tests, including an advanced ballistic missile with challenging capabilities for South Korea and its ally, the United States. To bring us up to speed on North Korea's actions and intentions in 2021, I welcome to Eyes on Asia, So Young Kim of RFA's Korean service. Born and raised in Seoul, So Young came to RFA in Washington three years ago after eight years at the Korea Times in New York. Her broadcasts for RFA focus on politics and diplomacy between the United States and North Korea. Thank you for making time for us, So Young. Hi, good to be here. Great. Early in the second quarter of 2021, and about 10 weeks after the Biden administration has taken office, what are the most important challenges that North Korea has presented to the outside world so far? We may notice that North Korea was quiet for a while after the talks between the U.S. and North Korea stalled after several summits in 2018 and the following year in 2019. Then nearly three months after new President Biden took office on March 25th, North Korea launched two short-range ballistic missiles. And you saw the news that the Biden administration is currently reviewing its North Korea policy. And I guess it's expected to complete soon. So maybe sometime this month we will see the results. Some experts say North Korea probably wanted to give more pressure on Biden. And also, North Korea officially rejected the request for the talks by the U.S. And the White House confirmed that the U.S. reached the North Korea for talks in early February, but it hasn't received any response from the North. Instead, North Korea released a statement in March saying that it won't have a dialogue with the U.S. until Washington withdraws its hostile policies towards Pyongyang. Well, North Korea always tries to test new leaders in Washington and Seoul, but is there anything new this time, whether a strategy or a style? And what are you noticing and hearing in your reporting on these issues? You're right. Um, Historically, North Korea usually showed some type of provocation actions whenever the new president came. So for example, less than three months after President Barack Obama took office, North Korea launched a long range rockets and six weeks after it conducted a nuclear test, 
Three weeks after President Donald Trump's inauguration, North Korea launched a medium-range ballistic missiles in February 2017 and later carried out a hydrogen bomb test. So it was kind of pretty much predictable that North Korea will do something to get attention or just as their old pattern. The matter was more about when or how, and most of North Korea experts and former U.S. officials I spoke with told me that it's not surprising at all when they saw the news about North Korea's first missile test in the Biden administration. They said, even though it's clearly a violation of U.N. Security Council resolutions, short-range missile test is still a mild level. They also added that there was no clear indication that those tests demonstrated any new type of weapons with advanced technology that were showcased during the military parade last year. So maybe the Biden administration shouldn't overreact on this, but the U.S. still needs to keep an eye on if there will be further actions coming from the North. And um, the experts also point out if North Korea conducts longer range missiles, like a more serious test, like ICBM or nuclear test, which can directly reach to the U.S. territory, then the U.S. should take stronger actions. And what could that be? There is no uh, right answer to this, but uh, some suggest that imposing more sanctions on North Korea or more strict monitoring illicit activities by North Korea while opening a door to the diplomatic dialogue. And I don't know if you remember, the President Biden, during his first press conference, stressed that there will be responses if North Korea chooses to escalate the U.S. will respond accordingly. All of these nuclear and missile tests and development take money. And the U.N. sanctions and U.S. sanctions and also U.S. legal actions to choke off North Korea's money have taken hold. How does North Korea still get the money to do all this with the sanctions and the coronavirus slowing trade with China? Right. It's always a mystery. Like, where do they get the money, right? I mean, we always see like a famine and a starving people, but somehow they always find a way to scrape some money. And North Korea, as we all know, North Korea is one of the first nations that completely shut down its borders as soon as coronavirus broke out. So it's been more than a year. North Korea couldn't export or import so like you mentioned, China is definitely North Korea's biggest trade partner. And due to the border closer, the data shows that uh, the trade between those two countries declined over 80%. But UN reports often pointed out that the illicit trade through the ship-to-ship -ship transfer in the water continues during the pandemic. So one report also claimed that North Korea's coal exports to China last year would range between $330 million and $410 million. And another big source of money for North Korea is a cyber crime. North Korea's hacking skill is well known as top class worldwide. Um, the recent UN report said North Korea has stolen more than $300 million 
for the past two years from cryptocurrency exchanges, financial institutions. So we can add that the core exports and hacking itself brought North Korea almost $710 million. So that's not small money. No, not at all. Well, my first job in journalism was covering the 1988 Seoul Olympics, and we know that South Korea places a lot of value on Olympic diplomacy. We just learned that North Korea has announced that it will not be attending the Tokyo Games this summer, and that's been described as a setback for South Korea's hopes for diplomacy. What do you think happened there? What is behind that? Could North Korea just not be able to afford to go to the Games, and they're looking for a face-saving way out and also trying to sort of embarrass Japan? North Korea's state media said Tuesday of this week, um, North Korea has decided not to participate in the Tokyo Games to protect players from COVID-19. That's their um, official response and then reason not to um, go to Tokyo. We all know North Korea is very sensitive about coronavirus and trying its best not to spread it in the country. So it kind of makes sense it made this decision, but some explains that the complicated relationship between Japan and North Korea over the Japanese abduction issue and their unsolved history issues might have affected North Korea's decision. And it might be a coincidence, but this statement was actually released on the same day when the Japanese extended its own sanctions on North Korea. How has South Korea responded to this and what does it mean for South Korea? So this is, announcement is definitely devastating news for South Korean President Moon Jae-in, who's been trying so hard to make inter-Korea progress since he took office. Because Moon government wanted to promote a peace process on the Korean peninsula, using the Tokyo Olympics as a turning point to improve relations between not only the two Koreas, but North Korea and the U.S. and North Korea and Japan, especially after no talks with North Korea since 2019. And as you know, this initial plan is not irrelevant to the experience of improving inter-Korean relations and North Korea-U.S. relations through the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics in South Korea 2018. At the time, Kim Yo-jung, Kim Jong-un's sister, participated in the opening ceremony. So we saw all the front page and the headlines about this. During the following year, three inter-Korean summits and one U.S.-North Korea summit took place. So now for Moon, who has only one year term left, doesn't seem to have much momentum to re-engage with North Korea or possibly mediate between the U.S. and North Korea. Yeah, I can see how you'd be frustrated. Well, thank you, So Young, for taking your time and shining a light on some of these issues. Uh, it's a crowded world out there, and with Myanmar and China and Xinjiang and the South China Sea, North Korea is not getting the headlines it, it usually gets. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but we'll see in 2021, won't we? Yeah, we'll see how it goes. A couple of weeks ago, during a discussion on China's wolf warrior diplomacy, 
RFA Mandarin journalist Rita Cheng cited an old adage to explain why Beijing's envoys abroad like to talk tough to impress the audience back home. That saying was, all politics are local. Now, in the small political pond of Laos, those wise words take on a different meaning. In Laos, all politics are local because there's only so many families who call the shots. It's a country of 7 million people that's been ruled by the same Communist Party elite for 45 years. And when a new cabinet lineup was announced last month after a dreary one-party national election, seven of the 17 people in the cabinet were drawn from just two families. Those families are descendants of founding revolutionary leader Kaison Pompehan and his successor as Lao People's Revolutionary Party leader Kamtai Sipandon. Kaison died nearly 30 years ago and Kamtai stood down 15 years ago, but their grip on the party and the country lives on. To tell me about the nepotism of the Lao leadership, I'm joined by RFA Lao senior editor Ungao Suksavan. Welcome, Ungao. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you. So let's take a look at how these two families are controlling so many top positions in the Lao leadership. First, tell me about the Pombahan family. Who do they have in a top position now? Well, as we know that the old soldier never dies, like Kansan Pombahan and Kamtai Si Pandon, who are both the former Lao presidents. But first of all, I would like to tell you about the Kaison Pomihan family, who has eldest son, Sai Sompan Pomihan. Right now, Sai Sompan Pomihan is made a president of the Lao National Assembly. But, uh, unfortunately, his youngest son, Sanyahak Pomihan, passed away over eight years ago. That's why Sai Sompan Pomihan is the last option for Pomihan family to be supportive for the top national leaders. So the eldest son is now the chief figure in the National Assembly, is that right? Yes. You will see Pongvihan family has got special and close relation with North Vietnamese troops and Vietnamese leaders, Ho Chi Minh. So people say that Mr. Kai Son is the Mr. Ho Chi Minh's proxy. He died in, in 1992. Isn't one of his sons also a governor of a province in Laos? One of his sons is the governor of the Samantakate in Laos right now. A source inside Laos told me that Mr. Sai Pon is the made president of the National Assembly because the Vietnamese Communist Party supports him. I see. And Kai Son remains like an icon in the Lao Revolutionary Party. I, I know when I visited Laos, he's, he's on the face of the Lao currency bills. So they have some historical importance. But what about the family of Kamtai Sipandon, who was the president who came after Kai Son after he died in 1992? Tell us a bit about who Kamtai was. Let's see. Kamtai Sipandon is the president number two after Kai Son Pomihan. And Kamtai Sipandon is also fully supported by Vietnamese counterpart because the, he is the member of the Indo-Chinese Communist Party. Mr. Kamtai is almost 100 years old, but he's still active to push his uh, political dissonance to be in the top position. So who from the Sipandon family is in a top position now? You see, after the party congress and the general election, his uh, three sons, namely Sonsai Sipandon, 
วียงสวัสดิ์สีพันดอนอาสพังทองสีพันดอนอาเมดมินิสเตอร์ออฟพลานนิ่งแอนด์อินเวสเตเมนต์มินิสเตอร์ออฟเดอะพับลิกเวิร์กส์แอนด์ทรานสปอร์ตแอนด์เวียนจันเมอร์รีสเพคทีฟลีอินเอดิชันยูวิลซีฮิสดอร์เวียงทองสีพันดอนอิสเมดเออร์ประธานาธิบดีของประเทศสุภาพบุรุษแอนด์ออนโซยูวิลซีฮิสทูซันอิลลัสมาลายทองกมาซิตแอนด์คำแพงไซสุมแพงอาเมดเออร์ประธานาธิบดีของสถาบันการเกษตรออร์แกเนซิชันส์ And the Minister of the Commerce and Industries. I mean, that's amazing. So they've got at least six people who are in very senior positions in the Lao government, including in the the, the judiciary. Oh yes. So the Sibandon family is actually the most powerful clan in Laos now. Oh, of course. The Kamtai Sibandon absolutely takes control of the main ministries, and Vientiane, the capital of Laos, with good income. You know that means they take control of the national economy. They also take control of courts and state audit organization. No one can audit and inspect them. They're in charge of the planning ministry. They oversee investments, but they're also in charge of the audit organization, which is meant to see if there's any corruption within the system. Yes. So, Matt, what happened is. The check and balance system is not strong because what if the Ministry of Public Works and Transport or Ministry of the Planning and Investment have the conflict of interest or corruption? Mr. Malai Tongkomasit, who is the son-in-law, cannot audit or inspect those minister because they are in the same family. Right. Well, you would think so, but I, I expect he wouldn't recuse himself. But <laughs> I guess uh, that remains to be seen. So, why do you think that these two key families, the Sipendon clan and the Bonvahan clan, have so many members in top positions now? I mean, why is the number higher than it has been in the past? They are now right age to assume the top leadership positions. And another reason is that they would like to transit power to the children to make sure the power is still exist in their families. Laos has obviously undergone a lot of changes since the revolution back in 1975, and the economy opened up about 30 years ago. I mean, they shifted from a sort of command economy to a more market economy. We see there's a growing gulf between rich and poor. And even the party leadership acknowledges there's a serious problem with corruption. So, do we know if either the Sipandone or the Pombahan families have much wealth now and interest in private business? As we know that uh, it allows people understand that the leader come first, whether or not people like it. Even though there is an anti-corruption organization, the wealth of those families are not disclosed publicly. Okay. So, what do scholars and regular Lao people think about, you know, the rise of these children of the old revolutionaries? Is there any frustration about the domination of these powerful families? People said it is traditional practice. After father has gone, sons or daughter must come up to succeed his father instead. In Lao, they call building young generation to succeed the old generation. Okay, we can hear your younger generation <laughs> in the background <laughs> as we have this conversation. I know. But I know. <laughs> please go upstairs and 
don't make a noise because I'm being interviewed. There, there, there you go. The challenges of working from home that we all know about. So you're saying there is frustration inside Laos about the domination of these powerful families, but people don't feel they can do anything about it? I don't think that people can do it. And people think that they, they can do anything about this. Right. So if you're a young person in Laos today, can you join the Lao People's Revolutionary Party? I mean, what, what's the chances of an ordinary person rising to a leadership position based on merit alone? So young people can join the Lao People's Revolutionary Party by learning political theories, and they must be loyal to the party. So they can be accepted as the party members. But in Laos, no matter how high your education is, or no matter how high your working skill is, that doesn't matter. The thing is, who are your parents? If your parents join the revolution with the former Lao leaders, you will be fully support to be the leadership position for sure. Well, Gail, thank you very much for taking time off from your busy family evening. I look forward to speaking with you again. You are welcome, Matt. Thanks, Hong Kao and Matt, for that look at nepotism in the Lao political system. All countries have their political dynasties, but you'd be hard-pressed to find another government where a third of the cabinet hails from a single family. Yeah, that's right. This is counting in-laws, of course, but, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of another government that can match that. I can't either, Matt. So please join us again next week. Until then, you can read RFA coverage on our website, rfa.org. Our past podcasts can be found on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is eoa at rfa.org. I'm Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia with Paul Eckert. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.